Hello, everyone. This is Sean Dubrovac from Avrio Institute. Welcome to another episode of Techspansive. And I'm Ross Rubin at Radical Research. This week, we're going to dive deep into Amazon's announcements. And like, uh, like every year when they have this event, they announce a slew of Alexa-enabled products. So we'll take a look at that and compare some of what we saw to Apple's release last week. We'll also dive into some gaming news and take a peek at what Uber is doing to overhaul its app. We saw Amazon announce a number of products this week, including $180 Echo Frames, which are eyeglasses that are enabled by Alexa. You've got Echo Buds at $130, Alexa-enabled wireless earbuds that will track steps, and they are claiming battery life of five hours with 20 hours additional in the the charging case, so that's a, a impressive statistics for for um, earbuds. Definitely taking on, or at least trying to go head to head with Apple's AirPods. So last year, I, I my observation was that they were throwing everything they could against the wall, literally. Uh, in the case of of the clock, uh, which they uh, they revised this year, the Alexa clock. This year, I, I think there was still a, a very broad spectrum of products, a mix of things that you might have expected, uh, upgrades to the speaker. There's been some talk about them getting into the premium audio segment, although I don't think that's too surprising, actually. Um, perhaps like you, I, I was most interested in the, in the wearable technology. Uh, the glasses are very different than, say, Google Glass or some of these other augmented reality smart glasses. I mean, they're really just frames. You know, you could consider them as kind of maybe sunglasses that you might buy in uh, off the shelf. The difference is that, you know, they don't have a camera, they don't have a screen. Uh, they are just, as you noted, Alexa enabled. So um, the rationale is to try to get Alexa with you all the time. That's one way to do it. I was a bit more intrigued by this ring that they announced um, because I, I think it's a nice mix of form and function. The idea behind Alexa, even though there are some benefits to having a screen, but at least the original driving design was that it was something you could use without a screen. And here is a device so small that a screen is practically prohibitive. So uh, to me, that is a that seems like a good implementation of something where you might want constant access to it. You don't want to necessarily have to look at it, uh, and it's a uh, seems like a perhaps a, a convenient way to fire off Alexa commands. So uh, that to me was uh, one one of the more interesting angles. Um, and and there were other uh, announcements, you know, improvements in privacy, a feature to ask Alexa, you know, why did you do that to try to understand how you're interacting with it a little better, GM coming on board as as an Alexa partner. So uh, not everything was uh, hard hardware related, but um, uh, you know, as of last year, a mix of things in the home and now on the person. So we see a ton of wearables launch, but we don't see a watch launch, which I think is is interesting. To your point, Ross, 
definitely the sweet spot is devices that don't have screens or provide a lot of other functionality. So they've gone into areas where there isn't uh, a lot of connectivity. There are some rings out there that that offer some different functionality. And, uh, and as you noted, there are some iframes that offer some different functionality, but but the echo frames are quite different than what's currently been on the market or come to market. Um, and at the same time, you, you see them not going into what, what is really the core connected wearable product today, which is the, the watch. And you've got uh, Google there through Android Wear, and you've got Apple, of course, with a really dominant position there. Well, yeah, and I think it's been just very tough for companies to compete with Apple uh, in, in that space. Uh, you know, we see a, a pretty broad range of Android, where, well, now it's Wear OS devices, uh, 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 smartwatches at many price points. Um, I think it's interesting to note that Google itself has not jumped in with a smartwatch, a first-party smartwatch. I think that says something about where they think the opportunity, uh, market opportunity is at this point. Uh, and so... I guess earbuds make a bit more sense because, again, looking at that audio core and low barrier to entry, and you know, you there's there's less uh, of of there's less value you could argue in having a, a robust operating system for something like earbuds. Where whereas Apple, and you know, I'll admit I've been a, a bit surprised uh, by this, uh, has uh, really done such a great job with the app ecosystem for the watch. You know, I, I wouldn't have thought necessarily that, um, you know, a smartwatch would benefit from an app model, but they've been working on it for years and, and the quality of the applications is quite high and, and there are a number of them out there. And so it's been very tough uh, for competitors. Uh, you see, for example, Fitbit uh, having you know, decent success in some of their other segments, but really struggling uh, in that uh, smartwatch market against Apple, even though they have a fairly well-received, you know, critically product that is significantly less expensive uh, than, than the Apple Watch. So, so I think that's probably where Amazon would find itself. You know, we know they can get something up on a screen in response to Alexa commands. Um, but, uh, and, you know, we know we've seen assistance definitely implemented in watches, both from Apple and, and the Android partners. Uh, but, um, you know, they, they, they would probably come up a bit short in comparison when it came to functionality, uh, much as they got hammered in the smartphone market. But I don't think they're done yet with the smartphone market. I think hmm. eventually you'll see them come back to that space, and maybe that's when they start to show up in, in the watch space. I think that it, it's too big of an addressable market not to be thinking about. I'm, I've got to believe they've got somebody working or a team of people working on a phone OS. And given... Amazon's approach to these marketplaces, they tend to uh, like to integrate Alexa with what I'll call low-priced alternatives. So you saw mm -hmm. them last year integrated into a very inexpensive microwave oven 
and you saw them right. integrated into to some other things. You know, they they first went to the Echo Dot model before they went to the Echo Studio model and, and started doing high end uh, speakers with with multiple speaker drivers and, and other things. So I could easily see them finding a low priced provider in the smartphone space to develop the hardware and and anymore we see that the difference between a high-end smartphone and a lower tier smartphone is narrowing significantly one of the things we saw you know from from apple's announcement was that the price points came down a little bit so they're tr they're mindful of the fact that uh, they've got competitors that are quickly catching up from a hardware standpoint, maybe not from right. a, from an experience standpoint, but from a hardware standpoint. And so I, I got to believe that eventually Amazon gets back into the smartphone space and it, it will be a different world when they've got Echo products everywhere and they've got Alexa everywhere than to, to come out with that smartphone space and, and maybe a watch as well. I mean, I'm I'm inclined to agree they're they're not done per se, but you know what is driving that uh, Apple uh, narrowing Apple gap price gap uh, that that you just mentioned is the democratization power of apps, right? So if I have Instagram on Android and I love Instagram, uh, yeah, sure, maybe the iPhone version is more polished. Uh, but uh, but at least here's a less expensive way for me to chat on Instagram with with my friends, and it's it's supported. So I I think what they're up against, and you know even what they experience in, in the tablet market is is this app gap. Um, so if they were to return to phones, and you know I also think Microsoft you know will will return to phones at some point. Uh, it has to be a different proposition. It can't be. I think it would be very different or somewhat different anyway from how Apple today has, you know, phone, watch, and tablet on variations of the same app architecture. I think they would need to make a break uh, basically between the tablet, which is kind of a fading business anyway, and the phone. And then maybe you base it on an Alexa first experience. And maybe it's, you know, I'm sure it has a screen, you know, probably has a screen. But maybe it's uh, you know much smaller device uh, that that has Echo Show like you know sure. display feedback, and you know it might even be good for Alexa because it it might be a way to expose more of the skills, which is the one of the big challenges that that we've mentioned several times there. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, just going back to the contrast between uh, Amazon and Apple, we didn't really get to chat uh, much about uh, Apple's um, product launch, but it was very much out of the playbook. Uh, I think they did a better job uh, naming the premium segment of the iPhone Pro as opposed to 10S versus 10R. Uh, mm -hmm. I think that was confusing to people. Uh, the watch is now always on, uh, which is, again, a feature that we've seen in uh, Wear OS best Wear OS-based watches for for some time, uh, but Apple's done a good job. Uh, and uh, and the iPad. I mean, we we could talk a lot about the iPad, but they announced the seventh generation iPad. It now supports a keyboard dock, and so for about five hundred dollars, you know, you can get a very capable uh, Apple uh, computing experience. I would argue, um, you know, that 
that uh, has uh, has a lot of good uh, app support and um, is an alternative, a viable alternative to to a MacBook for many people. Yeah, and if you look at the phone, I mean, a lot of the features were catch up features. So yeah. clearly, a, a lot of emphasis on the camera, the night shot, the night yeah. mode, which is uh, catch up. And yes, these are all important, but they aren't the it's not the first time you're seeing it show up right in, the ultra wide angle on the on the uh on the pro you know having three cameras which is something that lg has had for years right right so yeah. so you're seeing some catch up to your point the in the tablet space they've really uh, narrowed the uh the competitive space there others have have exited that market and they're you know they've really uh, dominating that market today, and so there there is some emphasis on a premium tablet experience, and they're the ones bringing that to, to market. Uh, but outside of outside of that, to your point, it really was within the playbook, and um, it, you know a lot of it was just pushing the phone along this continuum mm-hmm. of of a path that it was was already on. And I think it's interesting to see you know, going back to the, the Amazon launch when Apple had launched HomePod, it really tried to differentiate that product as the premium audio experience. And it mm-hmm, was designed mm-hmm. to be a premium audio experience. And my, my take at that time was that it is very easy to create a premium audio experience. And that's exactly what Amazon is showing with their their high-end Echo Studio is that Hey, we can do a premium audio experience too, and we can do it for two hundred dollars. Right. And so, uh, you know, we we've got a little something for everyone. Whether it's the twenty five dollar Echo Flex that you can plug in in your garage or in hallways, or if you want, you know, the Echo Studio at with, with a premium audio experience, we've got that as well. So there's a, a little something for everyone, and and that's definitely Amazon's model of let's put something in every category and see what sticks. And so I think what you'll see next year from Amazon is a continued expansion into other categories to see what resonates with, with users, bringing Echo and bringing uh, Alexa into different experiences that, that haven't historically been connected and that don't have screens. Right. Uh, but to your point, Ross, eventually we will see the, uh, the Amazon Echo burner phone that has a <laughs> low price smartphone, you know, basic, uh, basic tool sets. And uh, we'll see that show up. My, my closing thought on this is that my sense is that the hardware proliferation uh, for Alexa compatible devices is well ahead of the utility at, at this point. Um, you know, it, it's an easy checkoff item. And Amazon also announced Alexa Connect, you know, another program to make it easier to integrate Alexa. And I guess the good thing about that is that it, it makes it easier to um, to add skills once, you know, you, you have access to it everywhere. Um, the, these things just show up um, as, as they're upgraded. But in how many different places do I need to ask about the weather? You know, or or you know, uh, or or what you know the the news of the day is, or or asked to play a song. Um, yeah, you know, we we see the same handful of requests dominating uh, Alexa usage. So 
they, uh, it, it's fine to have it everywhere, but over the long term, for there to be more value, uh, they have to expose more functionality. They have to drive more, more usage. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I mean, right now it's a massive period of experimentation. Let's put it into a lot of things and let's see what what emerges. But that's proven to be, uh, at least thus far, a pretty successful strategy of we'll figure out what you know what resonates with users. One of the reasons why I think you see so many products showing up in the kitchen, the microwave and the smart oven and, and other things, is because that's where people were originally putting their their devices and so you mm -hmm. see both google and amazon focused on that because they're looking at how users are are using the device uh, you did see amazon also announce their certified for humans program which is designed to help create some simplicity and and uh, remove some of the frustration in the smart home space so connected lights plugs small appliances and and trying to push uh, Amazon into some of those other areas as well and, and become a dominant force there. So I, I, I agree with you, Ross, that we need to see more useful functionality, but some of that I think is going to emerge from having this, this capability in all of these different places. So eventually it'll, it'll move beyond just the, uh, the weather to something else. If you look back at when we originally connected the, the smartphone, it was all about the browser experience because we were approaching mm. it like we had approached the the computer and then and right. the internet connection is all about the browser. And then that's obviously morphed in many different ways. I think the same will, will take place here. Uh, let's shift now to gaming, several gaming, big gaming announcements this week and this past week. And uh, we, we saw, for example, Microsoft and Google strike up a relationship where Google Assist will power uh, your help power your um, Xbox. Xbox, and so you can do that. Uh, Ross, you pointed out some um, news on the Mario Kart front that we were going to talk about for a minute. Sure. Um, so I, th I think this is a uh, actually pretty good segue or pretty good continuation from our, our previous topic uh, because the things that were a bit different in the Apple announcement were uh, a little more information on the services they had announced uh, earlier in the year, including uh, TV Plus, uh, which will be five bucks a month, and Apple Arcade, which will be five bucks a month. So uh, Apple Arcade is a, a portfolio of about I think 100 to launch uh, games uh, that are free of in-app purchase or advertising. Uh, and so you subscribe and you, you get access to these things. You download them like any other app. Uh, I believe all of them can be played offline, uh, probably a requirement there. Uh, they can also be played on iPhone, iPad, or Apple TV. So. Uh, of course, the you know the big variable is going to be quality, right? Uh, anyone can package up a um, hundred smartphone games, uh, but these are exclusives, and uh, the reception uh, has been very good. You know, I've uh, uh, you get one month free. I've been trying many of the games. I've found that there's a very good variety. Um, you know, not 
the, certainly very few of them are based on existing video game franchises, uh, but they're enjoyable. There are action games, strategy games, puzzle games, uh, and, uh, and all done in pretty good quality, really showcasing how developers optimize for uh, iOS uh, versus uh, some, some other platforms. Um, and just, you know, fun to play. <laughs> uh, and, and getting rid of the, this in-app purchase nagging. I mean, it's, it's just really uh, a drag uh, on the whole mobile gaming experience, pitting enjoyment against monetization. And so that, that's really what uh, Nintendo has been struggling with. Uh, you know, the company does a, a great job um, often <laughs> uh, on, on its own platforms and creating winning games certainly has, uh, you know, arguably the most beloved uh, portfolio of, of character franchises uh, outside, of, outside of Disney. And, uh, you know, Mario Kart has been one of their marquee franchises for for many years uh, probably coming up on on decades uh, if not already and so they want to bring this experience just like they brought uh, the the initial kind of super Mario uh, experience to mobile uh, but they you know need to figure out a way to get closer to the sixty dollars uh, of revenue that they would charge for it on on one of their own platforms so it's it's loaded with all these things called loot boxes where you pay to get some random uh, in-game bonuses. These things have uh, been under some regulatory scrutiny lately uh, to determine whether they constitute a form of gambling. So we'll, we'll see what happens with that. But on top of that, they're charging a $5 a month <clears throat> A subscription to gain access to better quality in-game bonuses, uh, and and so there there really lies a dramatic comparison uh, between what you're getting in terms of value from Apple for five dollars a month versus what you're getting from Nintendo uh, for for five dollars a month, and you know it might be interesting if if they could create some kind of um, uh, program to spread these kinds of bonuses over more of their games. I I imagine there's a way to do that uh, beyond just leaving it to a single app. Uh, but uh, maybe maybe that uh, causes some issue with with various app store rules. Uh, in, in any case, um, at least initially, there seems to be uh, a lot of downloads of this thing. Um, but uh, we'll, we'll have to see how how effective it is uh, in, in terms of, of driving revenue. You know, the, the way these things tend to pan out is that there's a small core of so-called whales that drive revenue for, uh, for a title like this. Uh, and, you know, the rest of the people just kind of move on to the next thing, uh, which I think is also uh, part of the Apple Arcade model. You know, keep populating with more titles so that, you know, particularly with games, which act more as consumable media, once you get bored of it, there's, there's something new for, for you to play with. Yeah. And I think, you know, it, it's going to be these portfolios of games that win in this marketplace. I, the sweet spot seems to be in that four ninety nine to nine ninety nine monthly subscription fee. And the, and for gaming specifically, it looks like it's, gravitating towards 499 whether you have 
one game, you know, or a couple of games in, in the case of Nintendo or hundreds of games in the case of, of Google and, uh, and Apple. So it feels like it will be these portfolios that end up winning that, that space and winning those subscription approaches. Uh, in, in other news, we also saw Facebook unveil Horizon this week, their multiplayer world coming to VR in 2020. They're shutting down some of their existing VR platforms like Facebook Spaces and, and Oculus Rooms next month and focused on uh, their, their Horizon, launching Horizon next year. They also noted that they surpassed 100 million in revenue in the Oculus store. So continuing to push hard on building out the, the social VR experience in, uh, in Oculus. We'll see more of that to come. Still a very nascent market, still a lot of just experimentation, but, but more to come on that space. Yeah, one, one last bit on the subscriptions. It's worth noting that uh, Google uh, uh, must, must have seen the uh, positive reception to Apple Arcade uh, and launched uh, its answer to it uh, called Google Play Pass, uh, which for $5 a month, $2 a month, uh, first year on promo, they will also bundle together not only a collection of games, but also some apps as well. Um, you know, look, it, it could be a good value, but uh, it one thing I've found just sort of looking into it is it's tough to get a sense of what's actually included. Right. Um, so, um, you know, a little bit of work to do there. Well, and what, to your point, what will happen is people will join to play the whale that their friends are right. playing or that they're hearing about. And so, and then maybe over time, if they become bored with that, then they switch to something else or something else rises up and becomes more popular. But once you've got them onto the platform, it's just like, some of the movie subscription services you you subscribe to Netflix to get access to certain original content that that they have and and Netflix talks about this in their down quarters that they didn't have enough original content mm. or they didn't have great original content so they really feel like it's the original content that's driving people back to the subscription or to keep up with their subscription and I think the same thing is is true in gaming that people will hear about the games that they want to play, and then and if that's the way they gain access to those games, they'll make the subscription. Yeah, it's going to be rising expectation. You know, a, a matter of managing rising expectations. Right. Yeah. And our final story for the week is Uber's announcement that they're overhauling their app. They want to become the operating system for everyday life so they're merging ride hailing and food delivery together with other forms of of transportation they also announced uber incubator which is uh, uh, an ability to let their employees and others develop products and services on top of the uber platform so you see them trying to make a little bit of a real estate grab here pulling things into the the uber uh, environment and the Uber app that will will clearly start to expand over time. Um, I see this as, and we've talked about it on the podcast before, a push to become the WeChat of of North America and maybe the, the WeChat of of Europe. For those of you f- familiar with WeChat, you know that it is the dominant app and the dominant platform in Asia and in China specifically 
where you use it for communications, you use it for getting access to scooters or, or ride hailing services, you're using it to, to pay rent, you're using it to order <laughs> In food. business, you know, talk yeah. to your colleagues, yeah. Yeah, you use it for business. So it is not only the, the Uber of China, but it's also the line of China and it's also the Venmo of China and it's all encompassed in this environment. And uh, whenever I talk with expats living over there, they, they always talk about how they couldn't survive in China without, mm. uh, without WeChat. And I, it's clear that to me that these companies are, are looking at it and seeing how that they can start to integrate some of those features. I, Apple is clearly moving in this direction by trying to build in payments into iMessage and, and other things. And so you want to have this communication platform as well as this transaction platform. I think it will only be a matter of time before Uber introduces some communication features. I think Facebook is trying to move in this direction as well and, and be multiple things to, to many people. Uh, and so you're, you're seeing a couple of key platforms try to emerge in this space. Well, yeah, I, look, I mean, they've had an API for quite some time. Uh, you know, sometimes companies drop hints, um, even in the name of the company, right, Uber. What does that have to do with, you know, ride sharing? Very, very little. <laughs> uh, so it, it was always clear that they had these grand ambitions and they, uh, look, they have a, uh, a platform. You know, not just a, an app platform, but a physical world platform of of these drivers. And, and you know, they've tried some interesting things over the years in terms of delivery and uh, and and certainly the the food delivery, which uh, which has resonated. Uh, what else is out there? You know, uh, probably probably a number of things. And uh, the question is, uh, what how material? Um, a, a difference will it make to people's use of the application? I mean, it's it's good, you know, nice to tack on a few things. Um, it, it might help build loyalty. Uh, but the things that that you mentioned, Sean, about WeChat, I mean, these are these are pretty big pillars, you know, payments and uh, and and communication and uh, and and all of this, you know, all all of these uh, compelling features. I, I, I don't know if, if Uber is, is a natural place for, for that kind of thing. Uh, but, um, you know, scooter rental, <laughs> you know, not, not quite the same thing. But, uh, uh, but, but you know, I, I think there is opportunity there um, for, uh, for the company to tap into more creativity on the part of partners uh, and, and employees. And, uh it's a classic uh, roll of the dice, and maybe one of them will will hit it big. So that's well, that's the idea. Yeah, I think it also speaks to consumers' general frustration with too many apps and having to have mm -hmm. all of these apps for different things. And I, and I'm actually seeing a lot of companies talk about you don't need to download an app for this, and you don't need to to download an app for this. I, I saw recently in an airport there was a navigation tool for the airport and, and a shopping tool for the airport and, and they advertised it as not needing to download another app. And so mm, I think mm. there's consumers are tired of downloading an app for that. So how, how did that work? Was it browser based? Yeah, or? I think it was, it was yeah. browser based and 
you know, the for for a while there, everybody was touting there's an app for that, and I think right. people are tired of seeing an app for that. They want functionality built into some of the core apps that they're using. And while I, I recognize the sentiment is not always in the favor of Facebook, I do think Facebook is well positioned still to to bring in some of this functionality into their uh, environment. Clearly, any of the messaging platforms are well positioned. So Instagram is yep. is well positioned. I think iMessage is well positioned. And um, to add in functionality, payments make sense. So you see them thinking about adding in payments. On the Instagram side, it's shopping and being able to make purchases. Uh, and on you know the iMessage side, as I mentioned, it's being able to move money around between people and friends and other things like that. So I I think there we will see a consolidation of some of the functionality into into apps. And there's a you know there's a balance point you have to reach where you don't have too much functionality and it's easy to get to. But I do think you'll start to see some of this consolidation, especially around similar services or or transactions. Well, I, I think some of it is going to come down to the gatekeepers. Um, and if if one thing, one clear to me, uh, differentiation between Apple and Google's approach is that Apple, as I mentioned earlier regarding the watch, I mean, they are still big believers in the app model. It's worked well for them, and they keep driving that paradigm. Uh, whereas Google, for years and years, has had, you know, at best, kind of a reluctant uh, acceptance or tolerance for apps, uh, and um, you know that's why they've they've struggled beyond the smartphone, um, and that's why at, at their developer conference last year, you saw them try to break down the functionality of apps so that you could tell, for example, a car rental app, you know, rent me a car and it would guide you through, you know, mm -hmm. the process of, Aut of doing it, or the duplex yeah. and instant apps, you know. So, so they, I think, have tried uh, doing more to reduce app fatigue, to, br to break down that uh, barrier um, of, of, of downloading the app. Uh, um, whereas, you know, Apple, <laughs> you know, I, they, I think the iPhone even today does a pretty poor job of, of app management in the interface. You can't even alphabetize things like, you know, you download these things. It's, you know, you can't even find them, um, yeah. many times. So, um, but Hey, you know, it's working for them. And, and until someone can come up with a way to, uh, to, to beat, that system in terms of um, functionality, it's going to be, I think, tough to compete in terms of convenience. So. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you do see these divergent approaches somewhat that for Apple, they're doubling down on on app environments and, and yep. Google and others are taking a very different approach. I mean, Google's is to automate some of that for you in the background so that you don't have to uh, go through it as much. And then, of course, Amazon, everything we saw from them this week was about, we're just going to build some of the functionality we think you want into everything that we can think of. And so you have this, this voice capability to control what you want to control. I mean, that's a lot of what it was about is building in control into these environments. And, right. and so it will be interesting to see these how these divergent approaches uh, win in the end. Good. Well, that's probably a great place to 
stop. Again, I'm Sean Dubrovac from Avrio Institute, and you can find me at Sean Dubrovac on Twitter. And I'm Ross Rubin. You can find me on Twitter at Ross Rubin. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next week for another new episode of Techspansive.